Welcome to the Jack Weston MCAT Podcast with your host, Phil Hawkins. And Asai Calderon Muñiz. Welcome to the next episode. We're going to move away from bio-biochem, and we're going to enter the realm of psych And today we're going to be talking about some conditions that have a lot of stigma associated with them, a lot of misinformation, misrepresentation in the media, all sorts of questions. And our goal is to answer some of those questions and help you kind of understand what to look for if you see it on the MCAT, and just to hopefully spark some curiosity about um, the the inner workings of the mind that we see in psychosoc, primarily in psychology, right? So today we're going to be talking about the dissociative disorders, and we're going to be talking about three primary um, types of dissociative disorder And before we dive into them, we do want to take a moment to recognize that the causes of these are not as black and white as we may sometimes wish that they were. And so there's often, unfortunately, a lot of trauma um, preceding the development of these conditions and also a lot of trauma with the conditions themselves with some of these. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, but um, kind of... On, on the back burner, you always want to make sure that, for anyone who's interested in psychiatry, that you're ruling out medical causes of conditions before kind of immediately adding a mental health or psychiatric diagnosis. So, for example, you'll constantly hear doctors ruling out um, substance use, um, which can have symptoms that mimic a lot of disorders. So with that, let's dive right into the first one. Yeah. I, I do want to kind of, I agree, like it's weird with the dissociative disorders and there's a lot of stuff in psych that's kind of, we're still figuring it out. Yes. Right. Like the brain is a mess in terms of how well we understand it. To be honest, that's why I went into the neuro area with my research for the the PhD portion was because I felt like we all, like we understand the heart, how it works. We understand that really well. There's no mysteries there. But when it comes to brain stuff, all of a sudden it's a little bit like something that we think this is how it works. But we are constantly revisiting and readdressing. Yeah. So there's like some of this stuff that we're going to talk about that like a part of me doesn't want to talk about it because I feel like 20, 30 years from now, we're going to have yeah. like completely different views on this because like medicine is constantly trying to unpack and understand what's going on with these and separating disorders and combining disorders like based on all sorts of different things. But generally speaking, most of these dissociative disorders are a way for like your brain to protect you from something psychologically traumatic, right? So most of these cases, and like once again, being kind of general here, there are like I'm sure cases where that don't fit the molds properly and and things that like, like I said, psych is a little bit messy. But generally speaking, there's some form of like psychological trauma um, that has your brain has triggered in a way to try to protect you from that um, or to protect the patient from that trauma. And that's where these these dissociative disorders, it's a way to dissociate from that trauma. Um, so the first of these is dissociative amnesia, which is like your brain just says, let's forget about all of that. Let's forget about that whole trauma thing. Um, and so I, I want to be really careful because this is different from like the other types of amnesia, like retrograde amnesia or anterograde amnesia, 
like retrograde is just forgetting everything in the past and anterograde is forgetting or being unable to make new memories dissociative amnesia is very selective right like if i was in a relationship that was like abusive and as a way for my brain like once i get out of that relationship as a way for my brain to protect me from that trauma that i went through is it's just gonna forget everything like forget that that person even existed forget those years that occurred forget that time we went on a date and it ended badly or whatever and so it's just a way to kind of protect and kind of like empty and remove those memories that are going to cause you trauma um, and so that would be a dissociative amnesia, which once again, I want to separate that from retrograde and enterograde amnesia, which are more general than like dissociative, which is really, I, I'm forgetting really specific stuff because it is helping to protect me from that trauma. Yeah. And this is the kind of thing that um, can last very variable, very variable oh, yeah. time time spans, right? So it could be something that's very short term. It could be something that spans years. Um, which is often what that kind of years um, aspect is often what we see in like you're describing um, abusive relationships. And this isn't something that we, you know, we we say, oh, it's it's protective. So it must be good. That doesn't stop. That doesn't stop from the that doesn't stop the effects of that traumatic experience from still spilling over into yeah. someone's life. Right. And so in in kind of in psychiatry and understanding where folks are coming from, um, and even just in general medicine, you'll often have conversations with folks if they feel comfortable about what they do remember and figuring out, OK, how can we address this? How can we make sure that we support you through what you do remember? Recognizing that there are still aspects that you've forgotten that are affecting your life. And it's yeah. not always just the traumatic experience itself that's forgotten. It can be aspects of someone's life kind of surrounding that traumatic experience. So, for example, if someone has um, is in like a very traumatic relationship, like you described, for you know a month, two months, however long it may be, they may not remember things in general from that time period. And so, but notice that it's still specific to that time period, to that either to that event, that time period, that aspect of their life. Versus, like you were saying, with you know retrograde amnesia, it could be. Um, a lot more generalized and it's not usually going to be surrounding that specific event. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's there's like the two sides to that that are can cause problems. Like one, like maybe there are some memories from that time period. That, like where did I put my birth certificate? Right. Like, like if you moved that while you were in this relationship, you might not remember where that is. And like that's that's one side of things. But I also really want to hammer that the, the memories don't just go. Usually they're just buried in the subconscious and so they're yep. still there probably still affecting you and just or still affecting the patient and them yep. just not being necessarily aware of it as much so it's just kind of like pushed under the surface so very often these patients still need a lot of help to kind of deal with the scenario yeah. in a healthy way so this isn't something where it's just like oh everything's good now because we've just forgot that horribleness um like usually that's still there kind of like underneath the surface, kind of making things, making life difficult overall. Yeah, I think it's also worth mentioning that um, just because someone comes to you and tells you, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't remember what's been going on, doesn't mean that they have dissociative amnesia. They could have some other medical condition that's contributing to it. And so I think compared to some of the other ones that we're going to talk about, this is one where you would really want to make sure that you get a very thorough history and yeah. figure out what's going in that patient's life. 
um, because we have a tendency to just kind of we don't know what something is and say, okay, it has to be something um, psychiatric. But we want to recognize that it could be either and you don't want to miss either because both have have really strong implications and and consequences of missing one or the other. Right. And it could also just be someone's forgetful. Like, I don't remember exactly. where I put my birth certificate. Right? Like, that that doesn't mean that I have dissociative amnesia. Exactly. Um, but yeah, generally, like I said, though, there's there's usually a trauma related to it as like a signal of like, okay, there's something here going on that like yeah. is, For the is a little bit deeper. Diagnosis. Yep. Yeah. Now, there's also a dissociative fugue, like or a fugue state, which is when somebody kind of like something happens to them and they they kind of they a lot of times like change the way that they act and change right. the way that they behave and it's like a, a switch gets flipped and they just kind of like usually like go off and do other stuff and sometimes they don't know who they are because they're like dissociating from whatever happened before um there's a lot of examples of this in media but my favorite is one from the TV show Breaking Bad. I'm going to spoil this. Um, <laughs> turns out in Breaking Bad, there's a guy who makes drugs. Uh, I don't think that's spoiling. That's episode no. one, pretty <laughs> much. Um, but at some point, he like disappears for like a week because of all the stuff that's happening. And then he he's like, how do I come back? And like to my family, they're going to be like, where are you? Like, where have you been? Like, what happened to you? You like went to work on Monday and you just have been gone for a week. What happened? And so what he decides to do is he fakes a dissociative fugue. Um, and it? like, it's really funny because he like takes it's funny in the TV show. Nah, it's not funny in real life, but like he takes off all of his clothes and like walks into a uh, a grocery store and they're like, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know. Like, oh, where am I? Like, oh, like I all of a sudden remember who I am, but I can't remember the last week. And he just pretends like he does not remember anything from the past week. And whenever anybody asks him, he's like, I I went to work on Monday and then it's all a blank until later on. Um, and so he, he fakes a fugue state, which is like generally accompanied by a change in behavior and like being unaware of who you are in that time and just kind of having some some issues there and so that's a fugue state or dissociative fugue which is kind of related to dissociative amnesia um and you can kind of like see the the ways those maybe are connected with like memory issues um but yeah so it's a dissociative fugue and hopefully as you're piecing this together um because we're gonna we mentioned that we're gonna talk about a couple of different um dissociation disorders Amnesia or fugue, you should associate that with memory. And that's really yeah. what's going to characterize this this first dissociative um, disorder that we've we've talked wow. about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the second one that we're going to talk about is dissociative identity disorder. So this one had a name change. Um, in, in a couple of years back, you might have heard it referred to as multiple personality disorder. But now we describe it as diso- um, dissociative identity disorder. And part of this is because there is a dissociation of different identities within one person. So essentially what happens is that someone has um, what amounts to different individuals or alternate identities, and they have usually multiple. And so what happens is these different identities, um, and in some instances, someone might feel like they have two people talking at the same time in their mind, 
or they might have a situation where one identity presents and it doesn't feel like the other one is there. And so these identities don't really even have to match much the um, the person's kind of base identity. So they can have different genders, they can have different ages, different um, personal histories, lives, um, personality characteristics, right? So one might be really outgoing, the other might be really shy. Um, one might be, they might even have different physical characteristics. So one might be really great at singing, the other might not be. And so this can be really distressing for some patients because if they recognize this and they feel that they have these conflicting identities, um, it can be really tough to to kind of put everything together. And it also has a lot of effects because we've, we've talked about how trauma often predates a lot of these dissociative um, disorders. Depending on the identities that someone might have, one of those identities might be a lot more self-destructive and might actually injure the person, right? Might continue to, um, in a sense, produce ongoing trauma for for the person because then let's say that the first identity right is self-destructive and harms the person when there's a switch and another identity comes out they have to deal with the physical ramifications that were produced by one or the other um, and so it's a very it's very challenging for a lot of patients it's also very misrepresented um, in in the media, and I remember there was one TV show. I will not spoil it, um, but there's a TV show that I really liked that was recommended by a friend, and it turned out that the protagonist had um, DID. And I remember I just decided to look online to see how you know patients with dissociative identity disorder felt about the representation, and it seemed pretty positive overall because there had been such a misrepresentation in in pop culture and kind of people just being like, oh yeah, that's my other identity very, very colloquially. And that's not the case, right? It's a very um, distinct condition. Yeah. This, the, like the self-destructive thing is like, that's a real problem. But there's also sometimes like, maybe this purse, maybe this identity is not self-destructive, but destructive to others yeah. in, in other ways or expresses like criminality, right? Yeah. Like that brings up this whole layer of like they're kind of switching between these different personalities. This one personality has committed a lot of crimes. Like, how do you deal with that? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was actually one of the first cases of um, like yep. pleading insanity um, yep. to uh, like in, in like court, like not guilty by reason of insanity yeah. um, was the legal jargon for that. I don't feel super comfortable calling that like insanity in terms of yeah. like medically but you're right there is there's a whole lot of misrepresentation of this in um in pop culture like it's all over the place there are a bunch of like tv shows and movies that like that's the twist at the end is like oh you thought the the good guy was like fighting the bad guy but they're actually the same person um, and there's some really interesting, I really, I don't want to spoil those movies because it's like such a like, oh my gosh, at the end. Um, yeah. So I don't want to do that. But there is probably the most famous case of dissociative identity disorder is um, Sybil. It was Sybil Dorset was the the name of the, the patient, um, which was based off of a real person um, named uh, Shirley uh, Ardell Mason. I have notes for that. Um, 
And so this was based on a real famous case, but they made, they're like books were made and movies. I think there was even a, like a limited television series um, going on about this, this real patient. But uh, I do want to kind of pause like in the misrepresentation of this. Like I think that that famous case of Sybil is, is might actually fit into this weird misrepresentation. Um, there was some weird stuff going on between the physician and the patient. And it <laughs> seems like there there is some big questions on whether or not this patient actually had dissociative identity disorder and that maybe like the, the psychiatrist had like s- implanted false memories and like told the patient like, yeah, I've already met a bunch of your personalities and like that wasn't necessarily true um and like this was a particularly suggestible patient but um this all this like poor media portrayal is actually one of the reasons why we don't use the term multiple personalities anymore is because a lot of times when um things are depicted like not accurately and everyone in society starts to have an idea of what this disorder is and that's not accurate. Like you kind of like that makes it very hard as a physician when you actually have a patient who has this. Yep. Because they don't actually have an accurate understanding of the disease and all of their family and friends don't have accurate understanding. Um, and I feel like there's several cases where we have, I say we as physicians, um, like as a group have decided to change names. Um, so multiple personality becoming dissociative identity disorder is a good example. Also like hypochondriac has become illness anxiety disorder um because like there are just some some uh popular opinions and views that are actually incorrect and like it's so much harder to change that than it is to like let's just change the name of the disorder so that people don't get the wrong ideas about the disorder yeah um so sybil's one of those very questioned uh and questionable cases but we were doing some reading and there's actually someone very interesting that that stood out to me. And that's Judy Castelli. So Judy Castelli um, raised in, in New York and experienced a very traumatic childhood um, without really going into much details. And as a result of a lot of that trauma, ended up struggling with depression. Um, so she ended up going off to college and a month into being at college was sent home by the school psychiatrist. And following a few years, just the the ongoing years, there was a lot of self-harm. Um, she she felt these voices telling her to harm her, uh, harm herself. And they got pretty bad. And because she was hearing voices, she was diagnosed, kept getting diagnosed with just chronic schizophrenia, unreally, not, you know, not really differentiated. Um, and as you know from the podcast, it's not going to actually end up being schizophrenia. So she ends up in, you know, a couple of years later, um, doing pretty well, gets um, starts sculpting, staining, you know, doing um, stained glass work and getting into into kind of the art industry. And so she was born in, in the late um, she was born in the 60s, 50s, 60s. And then by um, the 90s, so quite some time later, she was in a therapy session with a therapist that she'd been working with for over 10 years. And they start figuring out that she has other identities. And so at first they find um, seven identities and with time eventually up to 44 
different identity. So it took her a long time to get the correct diagnosis. And so once she um, learned that she had dissociative identity disorder, um, Judy Castelli started advocating and she started a lot of advocacy work primarily through um, the art. So she would teach art for individuals with uh, mental illness and she would um, she was an artist herself. And so a lot of her work, once she found that she you know, had dissociative identity disorder, was to build up the community, which I think is the kind of representation that the community needs. Right. Never. Because we've we've shared a lot about how there can be a lot of um, self-destructive um, tendencies with with some identities or um, kind of criminal activities with some identities, but not all of the identities have these characteristics, right? Not all of the identities um, or even most of them will have these characteristics. And so it's also important to recognize that patients may not know that they have dissociative identity disorder because there's often amnesia associated with it. And so they won't necessarily, because the the personality, the, you know, personality's identities may go back and forth and um, are different, they are, won't necessarily have the memory of the other identity kind of taking the forefront. And so there's often um, dissociative identity and, and kind of that fugue state that you talked about earlier, Phil, that can be associated with um, dissociative identity disorder. So again, this is where as physicians, there's going to be a lot of really important questions that have to get asked because you don't want to diagnose someone with this dissociative identity disorder as, you know, oh, you have dissociative amnesia. But then we're missing out on a whole other really big piece of their of their condition and their reality. Um, and what they have to go through, and that changes what we can do to support them. So it's always asking questions, coming from a place of curiosity and non-judgment as future physicians to really understand our patients and get to the the root of what we can help them with. Yeah, it's like like we were saying earlier. It's 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 kind of messy in this field because yeah. we're still trying to figure things out. Yep. Um, and, you know, the idea of a patient who's been seeing a therapist for yeah. a decade and been involved in the medical community, like not getting diagnosed until much, much later in their life. Like that's something that comes from just like we have poor criteria for these. And that is something that is getting better. Yeah. Um, and physicians are becoming more aware of. Um, but it is something that is really tricky that you might be treating somebody for schizophrenia when that's not what they have. Right? Yeah. They have something else. Um, this, like, once again, though, once again, generally, there is some form of psychological trauma. And this is a way for somebody to kind of deal with it as like, oh, it didn't happen to me. It happened to someone else within my body, within my my physical being. And so, like, having this this split allows for, like, oh, bad stuff happened to this person, this identity. But this identity, the bad stuff didn't happen to. And so there's, the, it's, a, once again, trying to kind of cope with that, with that issue. Um, and, like, the memory component is big as well, because sometimes, like, one identity will be aware of what's going on with the others, but another identity might not be aware. And so depending on which identity you're talking to, they may be aware that there are multiple identities or they may not, and they may not be able to remember anything. So it's kind of like a kind of, it's almost as if like some identities might have dissociative amnesia about the others or vice yeah. versa. And that becomes really tricky. And like, how do you deal with this? And, and how do you treat this? And I think this is one of those 
um, one of those disorders that's very interesting. And so, like, once again, you have to be really careful with the depictions in common yep. media where a lot of times things will get exaggerated and and kind of um, pushed farther than they should. or um, And that's something that you want to be kind of careful with. But there is one other disorder or kind of it's a it's it's almost two disorders like this depersonalization or derealization it's pretty they're very similar and so they tend to get kind of lumped together as just kind of one category and so this is this one at least in like my view i feel like it seems a little bit less intense than the other ones um where if you like some traumatic event happens and it just feels like it's not real right like it feels like it doesn't actually happen or it's not happening to you even though it is right i always like to use the analogy of like imagine that you are controlling a, a video game character and they got hit by lightning it's like you don't feel like you got hit by lightning because like that's just the thing you're controlling right and so sometimes people with depersonalization derealization feel like the stuff that happens to them doesn't feel real and it doesn't feel like the person that I am is the real person that I am. And so there's this, once again, this space kind of created this dissociation between what's happened and whether or not it's happening to you um, personally. Um, usually this doesn't have the memory components that can, um, and maybe that's why I say it doesn't seem as intense. It's like, I'm not trying to downplay this, but at least the the memory components don't seem to be the same. Maybe that's like I memory is my was my PhD focus. And so like memory is what I'm kind of focusing on. But there is this um, thing of like something intense happens and somebody will dissociate from it. And this can be to varying degrees. But you can also think about like times when people like go into shock, right? If they are in a scenario of abuse or scenario of um, like, I, I, I hate to go into this, but like a scenario where somebody's raped, a lot of times they will dissociate from that. And like, it doesn't feel real. Like they kind of go into shock mentally as a way to distance themselves from what's happening um, in those in those scenarios. So making it feel like it's not happening to me as a person or what's happening isn't real. You're depersonalizing or derealizing is something that can happen um, I would say there, there's definitely an emotional component to this um, as well. And this, like I said, can happen to varying degrees. I think this is something that to a smaller degree might occur to people like if they're in like a car wreck or like something or you hear about somebody who like something happens to like a family member or something and like all of a sudden like it doesn't feel real, right? Like you feel like you have that like there's distance and like it doesn't feel like real life um just sharing a little bit i know i've talked about this um in like free trial sessions with the course and stuff uh i think when i talked about my personal statement because this was a big part of my personal statement but um growing up my my family's house burned down to the point where like we didn't even like my brother had a pair of boxers and that's literally the only thing he owned was like i don't even own pants right like that's that was the scenario that he was in. And like, I remember this, um, this like afterwards, just like, this doesn't feel real, right? Like this, it's just like going into this shock of 
like this doesn't feel real this isn't happening like that sort of thing it's just a way to try to deal with that psychological trauma of going through that um and so this one can occur like varying degrees and kind of all of them can as well um but this is one that i think is probably one of the more common ones um, for people in those more emotional contexts, usually with bad stuff happening, but sometimes almost like when, like, like I remember getting my letter of acceptance to med school and be like, this doesn't feel real. Like I don't, like whatever's happening here doesn't feel like real life. And like, it kind of felt reminiscent to that, um, like the house burning down sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's and and as always, thank you for sharing um, because yeah, no. I I think it helps other people. Also, even though not just for for understanding these kind of states and what we're talking about, just realize that they're not alone. People go through a lot of yeah. different things, and the pre med path can feel really isolating. Um, and so I think that that is appreciated, even though you don't get to hear it from them directly. Um, I also like that you or I like that you mentioned this kind of emotional component and specified, you know, it's less intense with respect to a memory um, situation, but there is a lot that goes into this. And so we've talked about kind of specific instances where this can occur. When we're thinking about the disorder itself, we're thinking something that might be more episodic or something that kind of keeps going. um, And that can, you know, part of why it can be so distressing is that these um, depersonalized or derealized states can kind of come and go, which can also be incredibly distressing for a lot of people. And with the depersonalization, you might have heard it as someone feeling like they're watching, like in in a lot of trauma, like they're watching their body. They're not actually in their body. And so that's different than the dissociative identity disorder, which is where, um, you know, there's a different identity that is taking the forefront, not that you're necessarily you know, watching from outside of your body. Um, with the derealization, the other thing that can happen is that your experience of reality itself can change, right? And so you can, you know, feel like time has slowed down or time has um, like sped up or things are just kind of foggy and your, your perception of reality um, itself can change. And so this is actually something that is um, both both interesting and troublesome and it's that other mental health conditions and other diagnoses can have elements of this in them mm-hmm. and so individuals um that are experiencing you know that have experience with bipolar disorder not necessarily less so with the depression um component of it if it's type 2 but more so in those kind of manic or potentially even hypomanic episodes you can think about how one of the um some some of our criteria that we've talked about before is kind of like talking really fast and like not needing sleep Right. And so individuals with bipolar disorder can also have kind of little pockets of derealization, right? That's not the same as depersonalization, derealization disorder, but that there can be some overlap in experience. Uh Um, And so, like, you know, you've mentioned so many times, Phil, we don't really fully understand what's going on with the mind, what's going on um, with all of these different uh, psychiatric conditions and their overlaps and the symptoms. And so that's why our definitions, our criteria, our understanding is constantly changing. And so the information that we provide is current as of the release of this video. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But we do want to make sure that you're kind of thinking about the framework for this. So the first one we talked about was the dissociative amnesia, primarily memory is affected. Dissociative identity disorder, the name tells us it's about identity. And then um, the depersonalization, derealization, kind of not happening to me um, are are the different ways that we can think about this and kind of use that as a, a starting point to spread out and remember what are the other components of each of these um, disorders. Yeah, that like I also want to be aware that that depersonalization, derealization can also like depending on the extent to which it happens, like in the case where you're talking like in a manic episode, like people like it, it's not as much of a risk if it's not real. Right. Or if it's yeah. not happening to me. And so like that might be one of the reasons why people in manic episodes are more likely to take risks that they probably shouldn't take. But you can also see in a scenario where somebody feels like this isn't real, where they could cause themselves harm yeah. because they're like, it doesn't feel real, right? Like it doesn't feel like it's happening to me. Um, and I think that there are some uh, cases of self-harm that are tied to this as as a way of like, this doesn't feel real. And like either the harm helps to like, oh, like feel this pain, it helps anchor them or... Um, or just like it doesn't feel real and so it doesn't matter. Uh, and so there are some some things you have to be really careful of with some of these mm -hmm. um, because, you know, similar thing with dissociative identity. So we're like an identity may be dangerous to themselves or to others. And so you need to be kind of careful and aware with these, these scenarios where you can dissociate too much from like what's actually happening. There are other dissociative or dissociative disorders that the like currently we just say non-specified <laughs> these are non-specified dissociative disorders and this once again is pointing to the fact that this is poorly defined and poorly understood and we're really doing what we can things have gotten a lot better in the last 40 years and i would say even in the last 20 years um, uh -huh. things have gotten way better but there are still things of like People who will go into like a dissociative trance, for example, where they'll kind of like dissociate almost almost as if like a depersonalized, but then they'll just sit there and not move because it like they're not controlling or like some way of dissociating. Once again, normally these have to do with some form of some form of psychological trauma. I want to be very clear. Like generally, normally, these are very important because it doesn't necessarily have to be. But mm -hmm. um Generally, that's what we we tend to see, and there are other disorders as well, and we just call them non-specified um, dissociative disorders. And so the ways the reason we bring this up, I think, on test day, dissociative fugue, dissociative amnesia, dissociative identity disorder, and depersonalization yep. or derealization will all show up in answer choices. You need to be very clear on the difference between them. But they could also give you a passage going into yeah. some other dissociative thing um in in the passage and you need to be able to recognize and see that like oh they're dissociating from something right okay. and that you need to be able to address that and be able to say hey that is a dissociative or dissociative related disorder um yep. and so you want to be able to do that just in case they do that on test day absolutely all right well i think that wraps up the dissociative identity disorders, which is a very interesting class of disorder. I wonder if anybody in here is going to 
go and do a bunch of research and spoil a bunch of movies and TV shows for themselves. <laughs> um, but it, like, hopefully you found this interesting. Um, I do want to reiterate, we are doing a couple of special podcast episodes. So if you have questions, please reach out to podcast at jackweston.com. Um, and we'll try to take your questions into account as we're coming up on our 100th episode and our two-year anniversary <laughs> of our podcast. So um, please, please submit questions if you have yes. any. Um, and we are very excited. Once again, that's podcast at jackweston.com. Um, hopefully we will hear from you guys soon. 